So before we get started, let's, uh, let's just go ahead and have a brief word of prayer. Lord, once again, we are uh, glad to be inside of a nice, warm, calm, peaceful room when the weather outside is a little cold and windy. But we thank you for the blessing to be here um, today, and especially during this next hour. Where we'll be talking about um, market gardening and the various things that comprise it and help make it work and some of the, maybe even some of the challenges that uh, oftentimes we may face. And we just ask for, for clarity, for the presence of your Holy Spirit here to help uh, with each presenter. Um, and uh, for this time, Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So we'll just start with a quick introduction. If um, We'll just start here on my left. If you'd please just introduce yourselves and mention what farm, your, where your farm is located, and um, we'll go from there. And maybe how long you've been in, in farming. I am Aubrey, and this is my brother, Alan. Our last name is Siler. Our farm is located in south-central Oklahoma. It's about three hours from here, right between the Dallas-Fort Worth and Oklahoma City uh, metropolitan areas. And we have been farming... Um, if you add it all up, it's about 10 years, but probably more, yeah, more seriously for the last five years, probably. I'm Terrace and Mark, and Mark <laughs> Children, <laughs> and um, we are from Tennessee, and we have Sunlit Meadows Farm, and we've been farming for about the last five years. Uh, like seriously and we've been gardening all our lives <laughs> very good thank you I'm John Dysinger and this is my wife Pam and my son Caleb <laughs> <laughs> I'll introduce I'll, I'll introduce you sometime John <laughs> okay I'll let him in <laughs> Joshua, <laughs> his son Joshua, and this is my wife Kelly. Wonderful. He, I don't think he even said what farm was going. No, on. no. Where are you Sounds guys from? Blessings Farm in Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee, and I was talking with somebody who also lives in Middle Tennessee earlier, and I was always wondering why do they call it Middle Tennessee instead of Central Tennessee? I'm just wondering, is that is there a reason? Is there such thing as North Middle Tennessee? It's just East Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, and West Tennessee. So if you live in North Middle Tennessee, it's still Middle Tennessee? It's, if yeah, you live it's too in skinny South. to really like differ. I mean, we're, th we're an hour from Kentucky or Alabama. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of flat and long. Yeah, yeah okay, Let's very go. good. All right, very good. All right, so thank you all for being here, and thank you for the individual sessions that you, you each one participated in. Um, I'd like to start off with just the, a simple question, and we don't have to have answers from everybody on every question, but I'd like to get at least two or three responses. And I, I would love to start off with just the concept of what are some of the most enjoyable aspects that you personally like about market gardening? I'm going to follow that question up with what are some of the aspects that you don't care for so much about market gardening. So 
within that context, I'd like to focus on the things that you, what do you personally enjoy? What are some of the aspects? They don't have to be with, oh, because, you know, you could say whatever you'd like to. Anybody have any thoughts on that? I, lo <laughs> <laughs> I love dealing with the customers. So it's not so much about farming for me, it's about the relationships that we build with I love. Good. Um, I just want to, well, second on that a little bit is just like the, the fulfillment and the satisfaction of being able to be so, is this actually on? It is. It doesn't sound, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, being able to connect directly with the families that you're, you know, providing produce and other products to and stuff. And also it's funny because it's kind of on the flip side, the same thing for me, which is something that is not enjoyable is that I'm an introvert by nature and after a long day of hours at farmer's market, talking to people nonstop, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and that, that's something that is not so enjoyable, but that also has to do with the personality that's dealing with it. All right, fair enough. Anyone else want to share anything about Go I ahead, would Joshua. say, like, for me, one of the, one of the biggest uh, things that I like is just the, uh, the variance of things that you're doing. Like, I'm, I don't know. I just can't stand, like, doing the same thing, like, all day long. Um, and it's not that you're, you know, some days you're might be planting a field or planting, you know, you're doing planting all day, but there's just so much different stuff. You don't get bored, like, of just doing one thing forever. Um, and it's, you just always feel like there's room for growth and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a really good one. I mean, I think if you're looking for a diversity of different things each day and things of that nature, I, I, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Anybody else? Yes. Terrace. I really enjoy just working outside, working hard out in the heat or whatever. <laughs> well, there you go. We've, we've been looking for that person. I mean, <laughs> I mean it does get a little was hot. That a, was that a joke? Yeah. No, I really do like it. Okay. <laughs> and I would say I really agree with the customer contact aspect. Yeah, very good. Anybody else have anything they want to share about that on the positive side? Well, oh. <laughs> all right, thank you very much. <laughs> That's it, right there. <laughs> this is the hot mic here or yeah. something. Um, so this, is, uh, this will answer both for me. I enjoy the challenge of the science and just how intricate and how just balanced things have to be, but also how complex. And it's also the plus and the frustrating side of it because... There aren't always the, you, it feels like you have to sift through a lot of bad information to find the nuggets, but it's also really rewarding and it just shows the intricacy of the design that plants fundamentally want to thrive and if they get what they need, they can just, the genetic expression of a crop can just be so incredible. Like plants function differently under different nutrient loads and on, under optimum nutrient loads, it's like completely different plant. And it, it's kind of the, speaks to me of, you know, we live in a fallen world, but if the laws of nature are intact and maintained, the beauty and the design that God built into every, um, every uh, plant is so intricate and just like, wow, that is just an amazing plant. So yeah. I really enjoy, it's just the wonder, the wonder of it. But that's also kind of my least favorite thing because it, 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 it tweaks your brain quite a bit. Well, I mean, now that we're talking, I mean, you mentioned about the least favorite. I mean, is there something that pops up? I mean, is every, do you like everything about market gardening? Is, or is there something that you, um, 
I mean, but you don't really care for, or you wish that could be changed, or you're in the process of actually changing, if that makes sense. I don't want to be too scriptive, but I, I'll, I'll give you which one little sense. This is just a personal note. You know, we have these low hoops. They're these little low hoops like this, and you put like this floating row cover over it. And um, in Oklahoma, generally between March and May, there'll be times where we have days on end where we have the chance of a se severe thunderstorm. And every time a severe thunderstorm comes by, there's always a chance of hail. Now, 95% of the time, it doesn't hail. Maybe even 99% of the time, it doesn't hail. But the chance is there, right? So you're out there, and you're covering these crops, and it takes like a 30-pound or so sandbag at each one of those little hoops. So if you have several, you know, beds, like 15, 20 beds of those, you're uncovering because it gets too hot in the day. The, thunder, the thunderstorm is coming. You have to go out and cover. And then you go and uncover. Right? And I'll tell you, I mean, maybe when you're 20-something, that's not too bad, but when you're 50-something, it starts wearing on you. And you start thinking, I don't really like that aspect very much. But in order, I mean, if we wouldn't have done that this year, we would have lost Probably third, third at least because we had a big hailstorm that came through. One hailstorm all year long. But it only takes one, right? So the thought is is that being prepared, just having that kind of, that's, so, so you kind of think, man, we could get into maybe some bigger structures because our, our, our taller houses, no damage on them. You know? And we didn't have any damage on the little stuff, but we had it all covered. Uh, if we wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been such a pretty scene. So that's at least, that would be something I would classify as an aspect that I don't really enjoy too much about it. Or anything else like that? Well, Kelly. now that you're saying that, I'm starting to wonder if I'm actually 50-some at my heart because <laughs> 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 I really don't enjoy haul around the sandbags and like dealing with row cover, which is what we deal with all winter. And Josh and I do the winter part of our farm, and so that's just something that, you know, you get used to. That's part of farming. You get to do the fun jobs as well as the hard jobs, and yeah. you just, you know, it's just something that you got to do. And um, yeah, the, the whole sandbags and road covers is not my, my, biggest, my biggest fan. Like I have been known to just get upset it and rip it on a rebar <laughs> instead of like going and actually picking it off. Thankfully, dad has put these nice little caps on all of our rebar now, so it just glides over it. So it, that has um, lessened some of my stress on that point. <laughs> Anybody else? I uh, empathize with throwing things down every once in a while in frustration. <laughs> <laughs> I would say for for me, um, since we do a lot in the winter, um, it's just it doesn't happen a lot. But once or twice a winter, you'll have a you know a day or two days, and you have to go harvest. And it's like um, you know thirty three to thirty three degrees and like raining or something like that. It's just the worst weather that you know. If it's snowing, it's kind of fun, you know, and you can bundle up. But when it's like raining and just some of the really intense cold. You're trying to do stuff like bunching stuff, and I personally just can't wear gloves while I'm doing that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I'll work for a couple hours, and I have to come in, and my hands are, like, pink, and I got to thaw them out. And then, yeah, it's that's probably my least favorite. It's just, yeah. like, 
some of the really cold, you just have to work because we got a delivery the next day. You can't like, well, we'll just, you know, do it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the truth, yeah. Well, I, I think I could just speak the opposite side because we do the spring and summer. <laughs> and again, I think it's part of getting older, but you know, when you're looking at a week of 95 plus degree weather and you know, high humidity, it's, it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, I don't know how long I can do this. Yeah. Because, I mean, literally, <clears throat> when, when you are in that kind of weather, you are soaked to the skin. There's no dry part on you. And it, you know, it's, but, you know, any of that doesn't have to be bad. You, you just kind of like, you know, this is good for me. This is, <laughs> this is toughening me up. I call those like, that's like a, a three shirt a day day, if you know what I mean. You know, you, you go in for lunch, you change your shirt. You go back in for something, you change your shirt because it's just like sticking to you. On, on Better Together Farm, the ladies participate in this more than, I don't think I did this this year, but we have uh, this treatment pond that we, or pool that we put up to treat with acid or, or hard water. And they'll go jump in there in the middle of the day and it's like 70, 60 degrees because it came right out of the, uh, the, the well. And that's, that's quite a refresher, so. <laughs> Uncle John, you should think about getting a swimming pool at Bountiful Blessings. It, it makes those 95-degree days. It's, it's more accessible than a pond, and it's a lot cleaner. <laughs> we, we get in our creek sometimes, but our creek is between our house and our garden, so it's yeah. easy, <laughs> easy yeah. access. Pam, were you going to say something? I was just going to say that we get in the creek. Yeah, yeah. And it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, acid. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, no, the, but it's just a little. Aubrey used to have ten fingers. She only has six now. <laughs> no, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's not the acid tank. It's the treatment pool. So, no, it, it doesn't. We're going for about a pH of 7.4 down to 6.5. So it's still plenty. Oh, it's good for your skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good for yeah. your skin. It's, it's, it's more like a, a really spa. A spa, yeah. yeah it's more spa. like a spa. It's more like a spa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might watch your words there, you know, just a little bit. People on Audioverse are thinking, yeah. what in the world? Um, all right, so let's, if we have some questions, I have more, but I'm, I'm willing to take questions. We'd be happy to take questions from anybody in the, in the audience. Okay, right over here. Let me just come to you, and if you could ask your question, that would be great. Well, what I wanted to do, <coughs> excuse me, I just wanted to make a couple of suggestions for the things they didn't like. <coughs> so one thing is, um, I discovered, my wife and I discovered this year, that wearing surgical type gloves, I still have quite a bit of uh, dexterity, but they were amazingly warm. They make, they make you warm because they hold that air. So try that and see. Because um, I, I couldn't work with gloves either, the big, you know, bulky kind, but with those gloves, I could do a lot of work. Um, and the other thing was um, I was thinking about, uh, I was really glad to be here and hear what they didn't like, because we can solve those problems. <laughs> yeah, we really can. So like one of them, like you were talking about putting, or whoever it was about putting the 30 pound, uh, yeah, that's right, it was you on the bag. Well, if, uh, what I would do is I would invent something that I could 
roll over the, the thing. In fact, I, d I did something like that with my greenhouse. And you just have a crank and roll it up onto the, the weight so I don't actually have to move individual bags. But anyway, I, I just wanted to say, I, I think it was great that you guys shared some of that because those are uh, felt needs. I mean, we, people could help solve those problems. All right, who's next? Anybody have a question? Right here. Uh, I wanted to see if you guys had any uh, experience with financing a part of your farm or tools and, and stuff like that and, and advice you might have or, you know, things to avoid or ways to go about that. Okay. Financing, you're talking any about tool actually bar borrowing money to, okay, all right. Any thoughts on that from anybody? As far as borrowing money, I would strongly discourage that until you know what you're doing. <laughs> if you know what you're doing and you have a pretty guaranteed market, then I think there's a place for, for borrowing money. If you need, I'm not encouraging it, but if you need to. Mm -hmm. But if you borrow money before you really know what you're doing and before you really know your markets, you know, that's a big gamble I would not encourage anyone to take. So, now, you know, maybe if, I mean, it's always a little tricky to borrow money from family, but that sometimes works well, you know, if, if you have a good understanding. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's a big challenge. It's a huge barrier for beginning farmers you know, not only the investment in infrastructure, but if you don't have land, it's, it's a huge barrier. Um, I'm convinced there's a lot of potential for, um, for young farmers getting together with older people who have land. There's a lot of Adventist professionals who own land because they know you're supposed to, right? Yeah. Um, but they're too old and too busy to do anything with it, and I think there's a lot of potential there if we could develop something to encourage that um, exchange. So I think there are solutions, but it is a huge barrier. I would just say, if once you get going on your farm, there is a lot of grant money available depending on where you live and you know what what is available there but we've benefited by that but you can't do that unless you've been farming for i don't know how long two two or three years maybe yeah and and on that topic um well i don't want to go too far down that topic but um we, you know, just a few weeks ago, somebody in the local area, we kind of have this email for local farmers. They sent out something saying that this company, Tillamook, Tillamook Creamery, is that it? Yeah, Tillamook Creamery was giving out these $5,000 grants and they were looking for people in the Nashville area, but they were specifically looking like for women farmers and minorities. So, but I just, new farm, oh, that's what I was gonna say earlier. There are grants for new farmers and ranchers. Um, 
But I just, you know, as a spur of the moment, I just clicked on the link and filled out the application, took, you know, 10 minutes, thought, man, you know, chances of this are not great. But a few weeks later, they sent me something saying I got $5,000. And it was specifically for a dump trailer for hauling mulch and stuff. So, so those opportunities are out there. Very good. Another question. Anybody have another question? Yes, yes, right here. I'll hold it for you. Sure. Yes. Uh, thanks for sharing your stories. And what advice would you give? I understand. You know, God has to lead. Spirit of prophecy. But as like practical advice that we could do without committing to maybe moving or a farm. Uh, my wife and I kind of visited several states and then just some some uh, farms, but we're still not at the level where we're comfortable, where we think we can pull it off, you know, and so what advice would you have, uh, you know, practical, brotherly advice that we could perhaps do so we can move to the country as well? Um, could I ask you a question, just so that I can understand the situation? What, what's your situation right now? Where are you living? What type of land access do you have? And sure, I live in a, a west of Houston. It's called Katy. Okay. But we have a tiny backyard, and uh, I'm employed at, by the, you know, uh, company downtown Houston, um, working remotely right now because of the pandemic, but after the vaccine or whatever, there's no telling what might happen. And so um, two young daughters uh, starting their teen years, and so that's where we're at, and we want to do it properly. And... Uh, it's amazing to hear all these stories where there's hardship, but I'm not so sure that we're at different levels, I guess, and we want to make sure this is integral, where we just don't flee, but we do it properly, we do it planned, and uh, it's growing spiritually as well, so we can minister as well, not just, you know, for the gardening aspect, but everything else that you guys have experience with, so uh, I know there's a lot of books, but how about like practical advice that you guys could share so that we can do our part, our homework properly as well? And good when, reads, good books, by all means. When you say a small backyard, what are we talking about? Do you have any idea of dimensions? It, it's tiny. It's like okay. four yards deep by. by okay, so uh, pretty small. Ten yards wide or so, yeah. I mean. From a big house to a smaller house just so we could have some funds to buy land, you know, but that's sort of what, you know, we, where we're at right now, but, or in general, for not just me, but advice, I know we all have different walks, different characters, and different needs, and the Lord also sees that in each and every one of us, and different, even within the family, there's different needs, right, each person is individual, but just what's worked for you, for your families, for your for your own farm that you can share with us, you know, where or maybe you know of a farm that accepts, you know, uh, a family and is a month enough, is a whole year enough, is it two years where you get your hands and feet wet and then you kind of say, well, I'll, I think I can make a living off of this. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just make a quick comment. I was prepared to do this yesterday, but Ricky didn't ask us the question about 
what advice would you give to, to people starting out? And I think my biggest advice is uh, learn from others' mistakes. You know, either you're going to learn from others' mistakes or you're going to learn from your own mistakes. Yeah. And so anything you can do, you know, obviously I think the ideal is to work on a farm and see how it works and all of that. But even, you know, just visiting farms and reading books, you know, you can learn from all those. But ultimately, working on a farm and seeing what you like and what you don't like. And, yeah, it's a, it's a cheap education. I may follow up, uh, Brother John. Is the farm itself has to be close to the model that you think would Bit, right because you don't want to just go into any farm but um. well you can learn lessons from any farm I think but yeah I think the closer it is to the model you would like the the more potentially you can learn you know there's a there's a concept it, like the Moses principle what's in your hand right so uh, I know when we when we started out we didn't buy our land it was more than a little backyard area of course but um, it definitely wasn't ideal for growing, but you just start small with where you're at and try to mis make your mistakes small. I mean, in, in anything that you endeavor, you know, it's a, it's a steep learning curve. Um, you know, I know that um, there are, um, and obviously for a long-term strategy, as far as Adventists, we believe, you know, ultimately you want to live outside of a, you know, a densely populated area. But there's a, a book, I think we have it at the Adagra booth, by Curtis Stone. And he does, or did, a lot of urban agriculture. So if there's a place close to where you live, some land that you see, contact the owner and say, hey, we want to start learning how to grow. We want to do this. And sometimes people will rent it to you for very little. But just some place where you can start out that you don't necessarily have to own to start that process. And then I would, for anyone thinking about this, you know, there's like, oh, this is so ideal. Oh, I want to get there. But obviously, you got to have family buy-in to the idea. And um, not everyone moves at the same rate. It's kind of like a relationship situation. It's very, it's, sometimes, it's very irregular that everyone's moving at the same pace as far as commitment and where they want to go. And so just understanding that you want to move in this direction, but you don't want to rip your family apart over it either. And so if you can start small, you mentioned that your girls were in your teenage years, it's really important to make sure that they're buying into it and maybe starting small with what you have in hand or what you have locally would be a really great start for you. And I know it's not like, I just want to get out of here type of thing, but um, it's, I, I think the principle, what's in your hand? You know, what can I do right now? And then when you step into the Red Sea, the water's going to start to part, but you have to take that first small step with what you have available. Any other thoughts from the gentleman here? It's, I would just say keep your dream and um, be patient. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have a question or did you have a thought? Oh, we have a comment right over here. Yes, your name, lovely lady. <laughs> My wife, by the way. <laughs> no, I was just... I was just thinking, if, I don't know if you got to go to the microgreen class. It's before, but just a tip, it may be an ideal place to start because you can start in your dining room. 
I've seen people pull the table out and start there. You have your restaurants close by. You get wet. Yeah, I mean, you have, you, have, you have people you can sell to in town, restaurants. You know, there, there's just a lot of opportunities in town, in your living room, that you can start up getting used to seating, ordering, watering. It's something the whole family can do together, and you're not getting dirty all the time. You know, you, uh, you don't have to sweat. I mean, you know, it's an it's a easy enter-in level kind of thing. Yeah, it's it, just a suggestion. You know, you can start in your dining room. I mean, when my son started, we didn't have a greenhouse for him to grow seeds or anything, so he went around with his cups of plant from window to window so they could get the sun. I mean, that's simple, you know. Aubrey wasn't too happy about that. I could drill it across to her. It just so happened that my bedroom was the bedroom with all the sunlight <laughs> and the carpet. You okay, can, we'll stop You there. can tell she still has a little issue with that. Okay, Pam. Well, I, I don't mean to, I, I'm not taking another side, but I'm just bringing out. Take another side. Go ahead. The reality that as Seventh-day Adventists, we were told a hundred years ago that we needed to get out of the cities. And I just think that I want to say, don't linger. If your family is on board, you know, yes, you might have some hardship, but listen, I mean, Chad, um, yeah, Chad and Fadia's testimony, I mean, I think you have to look at your own situation and say, okay, how much are we willing to give for this vision? And then you go for it. God is gonna, we know it's God's will that you get out of the city. We know it's God's will. Do we want to be reckless? We don't want to be reckless, but I think God's people have been lingering and not willing to make the sacrifice maybe that it would take. The Silers live in a trailer. I'm so proud of their family for what they've done to support their kids in that dream. I mean, that's commendable. You know, a fifth wheel. For how many years have you been there now? Longer than we Four expected. Four years. They never, <laughs> if, I'm, I'm just saying that because I'm saying, you know, I'd hate to look back and feel like, oh, well, we encouraged him to just don't move too fast because you might cause your family to have trials. Trials are a blessing if they come through obedience to the Lord. I, I, will, I will say on top of that, that, I mean, it did take us three years. And I'm not saying this is for everybody, but what we felt like the Lord, when the Lord opened the door to the property we had, it was a three-year journey for us. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm just saying, perhaps there's a, there's a hybrid model. Start with the microgreens where you're at right now. Start looking for the land. Let the Lord lead. I mean, it's, it's a package kind of deal, you know? I mean, Aubrey. but I appreciate, I appreciate your thoughts on that, Pam. Aubrey, did you have one as well? Yeah, just kind of going off of what Aunt Pam said, um, it can look really rosy when you're looking on the outside. So remember that it's, it's a very long and slow process and that you're not going to end up in this with this beautiful red barn and a white picket fence. Maybe ever. I mean, die singers are, are getting closer. They've got a red barn at least. Um, <laughs> but they've been at it for, for, a, for, I mean, since the kids were really, really tiny for the most part. So it's just, it's, you got to be really, really patient because it can be easy when you've got a dream or an ideal kind of in your mind and you're reading Spirit of Prophecy and, you know, the flowers and the beautiful things and 
yes, that is part of it, and yet life is not Photoshop, you know? It, 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 it ex, ex, realize that your, your dreams and your ideals, while there will be elements of that, it's, it, there's also a pretty, I mean, like Aunt Pamela said, we live in the fifth world for the last three years, and I mean, you are from Houston, so you can understand what it would be like living in the South in a fifth world for that long. I mean, there's a lot of not-so-romantic sides to it. So just realize that while it is an ideal, and yes, the Lord does want us out of the cities, it's not all, mm, be, uh, it's not all beautiful all the time, and that's okay. You know, it's okay to be okay with that. So. I just like one thought, one more thought. <laughs> it's just... I think of it kind of more as a marathon than I do like a 100-yard dash. Yeah. Okay, and if you keep the marathon idea in your concept, when you run into challenges, which you're going to, when you run into failure, which you're going to, you just kind of think, okay, this is just another step in the journey. And, uh, but I think Uncle John's advice is, is right on, learn from other people's mistakes. And I think you're here at Agra, and we try to be transparent <laughs> about some of these things and these mistakes. Yeah, Uncle John. Sorry. I've got another nephew. <laughs> He's not really, a, well, my son calls him Uncle John, but we're not related, if that makes sense. But anyway, my wife grew up in South America. She calls everybody uncles and aunts, and she's not related to any of them. So anyway, okay, all right, here we go. Next question. Here we go. Yep, I actually have a quick comment that transitions to the next question. Okay, um, I met a man living in Houston, has two boys. He had the dream of moving to the country. He was really a good land scout, and he knew exactly what he was looking for, so much so that he could never find the property that met that. Yeah. Now his boys are in their 20s, they're out of the house, and whenever the man speaks about going to the country, they roll their eyes. Mm. You don't, you're, the years that your children will spend in the country are worth whatever lack that you can afford. Amen. Um, and so, I'm learning from that man's great mistake, and I hope you do too. So my question is, like John said, that we learn from people's mistakes. Can we share some of the big mistakes that we've made so we can learn from them? So if you have a big mistake, like that man, his big mistake was that he drools. I'm telling you, he drools over the best property he ever found and because it was so close. So close. He drools. It had fruit trees. It had a pond. It had a creek. It had rolling hills, but it, it only had like one flat acre instead of two and a half. And his children missed out on the whole thing. Wow. So don't miss that, right? Um, don't, don't sell out your children's things. So what, what other big mistakes have we made? Oh, that's a good question. You need a book to, to <laughs> do that. Yeah, actually, their book, I mean, I get no proceeds from their book. But um, I was telling them during their class that my son doesn't like to read their book because it makes him stressed reading their <laughs> book. But uh, be because they're very transparent we about those mistakes truth, that Alan, you're talking about. And about what you think yeah, about the Ebenezer book. book. Have you read it? Okay, so, okay, all right, very good. Anyway, does anybody want to say, what about a recent, what's, what's, one, what's one kind of issue that you guys, a challenge, a mistake that came up even this year, within the last three or four months, that you'd be open to sharing with somebody about like what it was and how it totally caught you off guard and how you worked through it. I mean, we could tell you about a lot of trials 
that we had this year. <laughs> okay, but try it. I, I we'll, wouldn't, we'll work well, with her. But I think what he's really asking are for things that we could, I mean, I don't feel like the things that happened to us this year were, had anything to do with our, our mistakes, you know, bad storms or, you know. So what are some of the mistakes? Um, one time one of our boys forgot to shut the, um, one of our hoop houses, and it was full of raspberries that were fruiting. Was that you? <laughs> you know and and we we've had those kind of mistakes where you know we we have interns and that has we have some of them here so we probably don't want to say too much <laughs> this year we had a mistake that none of these young people who might have interned with us had but had to do with but um we got um, gasoline put in our diesel delivery vehicle. For anybody who knows anything about how bad that is, if you don't know, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's costly. Hey, but, you know, I think we handled it. We just said, well, the, Lord's, the Lord owns it all, so at least we have the money to fix it. <laughs> yeah, Alan, did you have a thought? It, it seems to me that a mistake is qualified if you don't learn from it. And the idea is that the biggest mistake you're going to make on a farm is not logging your mistakes so that you can correct them as quickly as you possibly can. Um, so, because it's kind of like the idea of the Chinese parable, right? The guy's son, uh, he finds a horse or whatnot, and they're like, oh, it's a blessing, such a blessing, your son found a horse. And then the son's riding the horse the next day trying to break him in, and throws him off and breaks his leg. Oh, it's terrible. Your son got his leg broken. And then the military comes through conscripting people, and all the other people's sons are taken, but his, he isn't because his leg's broken. They're like, oh, how blessed you are. And so the, the thing is, is that it's at the, at the end of the day, when all things are done, then we'll probably be able to tell. But in the meantime, just try to learn from those things that you feel like are bad. But I don't, I'm not sure if you can qualify I'm not sure how you qualify what a mistake is in the absence of when all things are set and done. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Maybe, maybe, we're, maybe we're semantics about mistakes or not mistakes. What, what, give us an example of something that didn't work out the way you had hoped it was going to work out when you had the intention of it this year. What's a crop that you were thinking, this is what we're hoping for, this is what we plan for, and it just either totally failed or it came close to totally failing. Um, surely, if you guys are farmers, something like that had to have happened. Yeah, hang, hang on just a second. Let, let's see if we get um, I have one thing that wasn't um, not specifically connected with the vegetable farming, um, but I do eggs also. Um, and something that I learned from this year and that can be carried out into any other area. So I had like 150 chickens maybe um, laying well. I wanted to increase that. So I bought another like um, 100 or 150 or so um, that were laying already. They were a little bit older. Um, and when I got them, I thought like, you know, okay, I probably should keep these separate. Um, 
But then it was like, okay, well, I don't really have like two big feeders. I don't, it's going to be like a lot of work. And so I didn't, I just made my fence area bigger, put both coops in there, had all the chickens. Well, like a month later, they all got sick and I pretty much ruined my whole year for chickens. Like the whole year I was struggling with like sickness with them and stuff. And so it was just like a lesson to, you know, a lot of times you have that knowledge of like what you should do, but then it's like you think you can like kind of like cut a little corner or something. And generally it'll not, not work out for you. So, um, you know, you get that knowledge and don't necessarily think that you can, you can take shortcuts and stuff, you know, do things right and mm. do what you know is the right, you know, the right, the best way to do things. Um, yeah. Very good. Okay, the young man back here in the orange coat. Sometimes there's people who have like farms and they like need help. Um, Cause like, let's say it's like just a little couple. They might need help with their farm and you could learn from going to their farm and they'll let you grow on their farm and you could learn some things about what and what not to do. And, <clears throat> and it's like easier to do and you really don't have to pay because you're helping them. And because if they really need help, they wouldn't, you know, have you pay. And last year we went to one of those things and we um, got to grow a lot of things in a hoop house and we got to eat some of it. Wonderful. How, were you there for like a day, a week, or how? The weekend. There's some good advice from a very smart man back here on the back row. You know, maybe just say, could we come for the weekend? Well, <laughs> don't tell him that part, probably. Okay. All right. What's, anybody else? Who has another question for us? Anybody? I've got more. I can run up to my... Oh, right here. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Right here. Uh, I think the stylers y'all were talking about the buy-in meeting that you had at the other class. I would love to hear y'all's families um, buy-in meeting that you had with your families uh, for, for when you began to move forward. Does that make sense? In essence, more like a, when you took a bigger step, perhaps a buy-in meeting, like because I mean, any thoughts on that? Several, se <laughs> several, several meetings over a long period of time. I mean, it, I mean, it's really, it's, it's really more of a long-term dance than it is a one like, are we going to do this or are we not? I mean, it's the idea of, hey, can I take up part of this yard and start growing here? Oh, sure, you know, and then it gets a little bigger, and hey, what do you think about me selling some of this stuff? Well, maybe I can help you, you know, make a little brochure, and I can take it to work and see if anyone would like to buy your product. And then it's like, hey, what if we take up another part of the yard? And it's like, okay, maybe you, you seem to really enjoy this. And then it started getting a little bigger, and then they started worrying. <laughs> and they're like, well, um, you know, you're 18 now. Maybe you should go to Die Singers and see if you still want to do this, like six months. And they picked the hottest time of the year. It was 114 <laughs> degrees when we got to Nashville that day. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was a baptism by fire, but I made the six months and was still interested in it. And Dad's like, well, if you're still interested in it, why don't you come back here and still try to do some stuff? We have land. There's a little more room to expand. Let's just give it a shot. So came back, 
and got a little bigger and it's like, well, dad's like, you know, started to say stuff like, you know, I'd rather be home here working on these plants with you than really going to work. But that was, that was, um, that's, that's a slow process, right? I mean, it's, it's something where, well, it's like falling in love. It doesn't have, like, <laughs> if you go out with someone, let's say the first time, it's like you come home and you're, you're like, ah, I want to get married. I know they're the one I want to marry. Everyone's like, are you sure you should give this a little bit more time? You know, type of thing. But like after four years, it's like, okay, you better decide if you're going to marry them or not. <laughs> and so that's the kind of idea here. It's, it's, a, it's like it gets to a point where it's like, well, should we do something with this? You know, we're, we're getting experience and stuff. And uh, the Lord opened up this land close to us. And it's like, okay, we'll move out there. But dad was like, for a long time, he was like, well, I'll keep my job, and then you get the farm working and all this kind of dynamics. And a year and a half ago, he was uh, laid off from his work that he'd been working on for, at for 25 yep. years. 25. And we had a decent severance package. And it's like, well, I have time now that I can give to this. Should we give this a go? Or should I try to find another job? And it's just like, well, maybe we should give this a go. And so, I mean, it's, 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 it's so... That, that was our experience, which I would yeah. say would, would not be similar to, say, like, Dysinger's experience. Maybe you guys share just a little, I mean... Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, very good. I mean, yeah, tell us, Mark and, and Tara's, what, what, I mean, I know you guys had a garden a lot when you were growing up, and uh, you were kind of about that, but I mean, one was the aspect of moving out, getting your own spot, your own property, and getting into this in more of a meaningful way. What, how did that all shape up? Well, I don't know if there's a good answer for it, but <laughs> um, we, our family got, got the farm when we were, we weren't really specifically thinking of using it for we were living at an institution mm -hmm. and we just bought it for it was it wasn't specifically for the purpose of going full into full-time farming and it just kind of because of different circumstances and stuff it was kind of just that ended up being what we ended up doing mm-hmm well. Did you ever sit down and talk about it, kind of decide? I'm just repeating the question. For <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, we did. I mean, I don't know. We probably don't. Our family probably doesn't have enough sit-down meetings. We kind of <laughs> do it on the go, I guess. <laughs> or working yeah, it's more like <laughs> Yeah, working yeah. meetings, yeah. Maybe we'll talk while we're stripping sorghum or... <laughs> something like that it tends to be more that way so it's like you're stri you're stripping sorghum and it's like dad says to you hey you want to farm and it's like well i think we're already doing that i mean it's like <laughs> let's just keep it on well it's actually like mark's like i, I think i want to grow this or that and they're like okay <laughs> so i think yeah well yeah so we we were, we moved from Wildwood to this other institution, and we were going to be the farmers there, and that was going to be what we did, and so we were really excited about that, and that worked for, like, 
one or two years, but then there are some different circumstances. And so, well, we actually did sell at a farmer's market while we were there. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about how we did it back then, but <laughs> because we just take a little bit of stuff <laughs> and we didn't know it was weird. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but then we, um, then the institution wasn't that excited about us <laughs> trying to do that. So we, um, we were like, well, let's just grow, grow on our, our, our farm that we bought. You know, let's, let's do our own thing down there on our spare time. So we did that for. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we did that for I don't know. At least one season, and then we just ended up deciding no, we want to really be farmers, and so we're just gonna have to move there. <laughs> so then that that's when we really decided we're gonna be full-time farmers. Very good. How many years ago um, was that? Yeah, we was moved in 2014, and 2015 was like our first season there when we were living there. Well, I think, you know, you can see there's different journeys. Everybody's not in this cookie-cutter journey, and you, you've got to think about where the Lord has you now and kind of what, what's going to be that trajectory uh, perhaps for you. But um, good, some, some good advice. Who, I think somebody else had a hand up. Yes, right here. I just want to ask some, some tips you guys have for understanding your market uh, when you're first getting started. Step-by-step -step process you might go through of research or how to quickly understand what you're going to sell and stuff like that. I would say, um, you know, if you have the opportunity, if you're there, you know, if you're in your area already before you're growing, like pre the season, um, you know, before you start growing, try and go to your farmer's markets, see what, uh, you know, what kind of options you have around, especially with farmer's markets, because I feel like, um, you know, that's, that's the safest way to start um, as you're starting a farm. It's good to get a year, a year down where you're, farm, where you're at farmer's markets, you don't have that, like, uh, you know, not as much pressure and commitment from like a CSA or even from like restaurants and stuff because it's kind of hard if you say well I can have this you know for you and the restaurants like oh yeah that'd be great and then like you know a month later well it didn't really turn out that well or whatever like you're not committing to anybody at the farmers market so go to your farmers markets um, and don't look for the farmers market that needs produce look for the farmers market that has like lots of produce because that's the one you want to be at like to a certain extent. Um, we've found that we've done, done many different farmers markets and the ones where like we're the only produce vendor, it feels like, okay, well, you know, everybody's gonna come to us. Well, pretty much everybody's just gonna go to the other farmers market that has more options. Um, so don't necessarily look at it as like, oh, well, they need produce here. That's a great opportunity. You know, look at it at, uh, as you know, you can go to your farmers market, see the traffic they get um, and see what other people are growing and, uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily bad to have the same produce in the same stand. You just need to make yours look a little better than everybody else's. Um, so, yeah, I would say just scouting out your area. Any other comments regarding marketing or starting the process? Mm. So we don't have farmer's markets in our area, so our journey's been a little different than Dice Singer's. Um, we learned very quickly 
that our area does not like CSAs. Um, and so that was a big learning curve. And we kind of, we, everything that we do, and <laughs> my family laughs at me because it seems like every year or every other year I'm changing our, our online solution uh, platform that we use because I'm always in search of a better, something that works better for my customers. And so we're, well, something that always goes through my mind is I'm treating this as an experiment. And our business model is constantly adjusting based off of feedback that we're getting from our customers or how we're seeing our customers engage. Um, that goes from, from how we choose to sell to what we choose to sell. And I'm a huge advocate in, in our business for testing product before we grow a lot of product, especially product that's questionable. Somehow the rutabaga got past me and <laughs> we grew this 100-foot bed of rutabaga, and I'm sitting here thinking, and exactly how are we expecting to sell this? Um, we sold 20, 20 pounds. Okay, 20, let me, I just got to get this off my chest. 20 pounds of rutabaga the entire season to a chef who never used it. Because every time I would go and restock his cooler, I would see that rutabaga sitting there, and I'm thinking... Well, that was awfully kind to the chef. So never grow rutabaga again, right? Um, unless we find some, some miraculous way of doing it. Similar, different um, odd things like kohlrabi. We tried growing that for several years. Never caught on, so we ditched it. Hackerai turnips, however, had a really slow start. And now we sell every single hackerai turnip we can grow. So it's kind of like really just paying attention to the temperature of your customers and where, where their interest is. Also figuring out how your customers want to buy for you. So if you don't live in an area where there's robust farmer's markets, what are you going to do? What if there's no farmer's markets? How are you going to work that? And, you know, thinking through, the, thinking through those kinds of things. I just have to say something about the rutabagas. <laughs> Save me you, up, Pam. You, Alan, you did a good thing. By, no. But part of the journey of a farmer especially if you have a crop like that, is to educate your people. I mean, have any of you used rutabagas? Ugh. So I'm here to educate you. I'm here to educate you. Rutabagas make the most amazing stew in the winter. You put them in a tomato-based stew with carrots and cucumbers, <laughs> potatoes and carrots and all of that, and the tomato base with rutabaga and kidney beans. Ah. It's amazing. So we've taught our customers. I mean, they, they like rutabagas, don't they, Josh? <laughs> we grow a lot of rutabagas. But we also, we also build up the produce to them. Like, have you ever tried rutabaga in stew in the winter? It's the best. So I love it. But I, but I wanted to say something else. That, pardon? You said that's my problem. I grew it in the spring. Oh, yeah, that is a problem. It's, a better, it's better in the fall. It's a fall crop, not a spring crop. Yeah. Okay. You just ha you, so. I'm sure you'll be creative next time you end up in that dilemma. Mm. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to give Counts you just another thought about how to find your market. Because I think what Joshua said is the best if you have uh, farmer's markets. But another thing that we did just, I mean, a platform that you should know about is locallygrown.net. And so that's good for the consumer but it's also good for a farmer because it kind of gives you an idea of what's being grown in your area. 
and you can put your zip code in there and is it .org? Okay, locallygrown.org. Anyway, it just gives you an idea. Most farmers are going to be listed there. And so it gives you an idea of the farming that's happening in your area. And you're going to want to look for some kind of new niche. You don't want to, um, if there's lots of people growing tomatoes, you don't probably want to focus on tomatoes. Okay, we have time for, I think, for two more questions. And here's number one. Uh, I just wanted to comment on what Pam said about educate and before I started Farms 2, I was actually working for the local health department on a federal grant called the Farmers Market Promotion Program. And I think some people touched on some of the grants and funding for like WIC, um, the Women, Infants, and Children Program. But there's a number of like federal resources going into trying to get low-income people to eat fruits and vegetables. And um, I just want to encourage you guys like to check out your health department and also I. I would be happy, like, one of the things I did in that job was come up with recipe cards and um, that would have some of those random vegetables and everything, and, and I would love to do some, like, co-branding things with, with farmers that were interested. Um, for example, Kate Blood um, and Cavell Blood, they actually did flowers for Farm Stew this year, so they donated something off of their flowers, and then we co-branded a little card. So obviously, you don't have to educate about flowers, but if there's another crop or something, that might be something fun that we could share because I still have all the recipes and we can make up our own and do some printing and stuff like that. So it could be a fun way of just working together too. Or the WIC or those other federal programs, they might have funding to help you educate your customers how to eat your food. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, one more question here in the back. Hey, so... Um, so like, I'm a person that wants to get into market gardening, and um, I just wanted to get some advice. Um, and basically, the advice is, well, my question is, um, so with me getting into market gardening, um, for one, I want to use it to be able to support my family. Um, and also, as the head of the home, I see it as a means to be with my family and to be able to be you know, closely knit. Now, through your experience, what are some unique ways you can allow it not to just be a blessing for you but a blessing to others to spread the gospel like what as I know you can give away food for free and things like that but like what are some unique ways that people don't necessarily think about in order to use it as a tool for the gospel there is a, a panel discussion tomorrow afternoon on um, agricultural evangelism which is I think kind of what you're talking about so I know there'll be a lot more then. But a unique opportunity that we're hoping turns out, we had a, a young CSA, oh, I guess that's for tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> okay. So come back tomorrow. That, yeah. Any, do we have one more question? That, his point's a good one. There's a whole section on tomorrow programming specifically around that topic. Do we have... Anybody who has a lingering question, now's the time. Okay, right over here. Have any of you um, done anything, whether in person or online, when it comes to teach, educating how to use a certain fruit or vegetable, like did cooking classes or did cooking videos on your website or anything like that? Yes. Would, would you... <laughs> Um, so again, there's four of us, and uh, I would love to do more than I can do. 
Um, but we've done recipes, sharing with our customers um, either through email or on social post. I've also done a, hand, a couple of videos, I think, showing how to, we were having a hard time moving eggplant, and so I decided to throw a video together showing how you could move eggplant, and it got some attention. Um, it's, I think, honestly, I think this year has helped a lot when it comes to people's willingness to cook. Uh, COVID has worked wonders in that arena, um, where people aren't, not as many people are eating out or feeling as comfortable eating out, so unfortunately to the detriment of our restaurant uh, counterparts. But it's really been quite a boost, I think, to the local agriculture um, arena. And so people, I feel, at least my sense is they seem to be more willing to cook because that's a huge problem. And people, most people, at least in our area, they're not really interested in cooking. And so this year has been a bit of a, a, bit of a paradigm shift for, for quite a few people. So I think now, kind of similar to the whole online space, we've seen online growth just skyrocket in the last 12 months. I think we've also seen uh, cooking at home skyrocketing in the last 12 months. So again, most of my work in that arena was done prior to this last year. Um, so I think moving forward, people might be more open to cooking at home. But and it probably varies. There's probably, you know, with in the Nashville area, there's probably more people who are more health centric, and so they're probably doing more home cooking. Where we live, it's meat and potato country. People don't cook as much, and so that's that's a little bit harder. Um, but yeah, so just emails, social, some home videos. I know you have a video expert um, in your family, so yeah, I mean, just YouTube. Pretty simple when you <laughs> if you can have time to do it. Yeah. Anybody else comments on that? Okay. Well, very good. Thank you all for sharing what you've, it's part of your experience. I know it's a big, big experience, but it's nice to hear, and I hope uh, everyone uh, found something valuable. Thank you all for coming. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org